Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. So glad that you guys are here. If it's your first time at South Point, again, we just want to say welcome. We are glad that you've joined us this morning just to be able to worship together. Today, uh, we are wrapping up a series that we called We Are South Point. As we kind of rolled into the fall semester, and sometimes we look at it as kind of like the church second new year as we get back to a semblance of normal and the small people in our house go back to school, hopefully, and all those fun things. And we just said, hey, we think it's important that we are all on the same page. What's important to South Point? Who are we? Who is this, this church at 3050 Buffalo Gap Road um, that meets on Sunday mornings a couple different times? And we just said, hey, we want to make sure people understand this is, this is who we are. And so we said, hey, we're a committed church. Uh, we're a church um, that's for the gospel, that's for people, for the nations, for community. Uh, we looked and we said, hey, we're a church that serves. Uh, we think that's unbelievably important in building up relationships and building up the kingdom. And if you aren't plugged in somewhere, you can still get one of those bulletins, find a place to serve and be involved. Uh, last week we said, hey, we're on a mission. When we read the Great Commission, we see God calling us as people, as believers, and sending us out, whether that be next door or that be in a country with a whole bunch of syllables that you may not be able to pronounce today. And we're going to wrap that up today, and we're going to kind of talk about, you know what, something that's very important to South Point and something that we are always trying to improve upon is we want to be disciple makers. Now, before we get into that, a couple things real quick. Um, one, uh, we kind of talked about, hey, from a women's standpoint, y'all are about to get away. Um, ladies, please sign up for that. Um, guys, watch your kids. You can do it. I trust you. Um, look, I send a proof of life picture once a day whenever Whitney's out. Now, look, sometimes I have to say, hey, look, there's some blood, but they're alive. And so, you know what? I, they've made it to five and nine so far. They're going to make it to 10 and six. Um, after that, we'll see. Um, but it's important to get away, and our, our staff is going to be doing that. Um, we're actually leaving today. We're kind of getting away um, just to kind of refresh as a staff and to spend some time growing and developing each other. Uh, we think that's really important. We try and do that once a year. Pray for me because we are like a stone's throw away from Austin, so I have to like deal with that. Um, but I'm really excited about it. Just want you to know, like on Monday or Tuesday, if something comes up, uh, we will be available. We just won't be super close. Um, but if there is some sort of emergency, please let the church know and we will be there and do whatever we can. Um, but today, we're going to wrap up disciple-making. Have, have you ever made a disciple? You have in some way. Like, even from a research standpoint, even if people, like, look at Christianity and go, hey, that's not for me, I'm far from that, don't believe in God, the idea of disciple-making is something that is ingrained within human culture. Sometimes we just have to learn the right way to do it. Because I know I've made disciples in some ways. I got to see that yesterday. Um, don't adjust your screens. I'm a little red today. Um, I, I understand that there's probably a little more glow up top than even normal um, because yesterday uh, my family and I, we went to College Station and my youngest son, he's five. He's not quite going to make it through a full football game, but my oldest son, Logan, he's been my sports fanatic since he was like five. And uh, we went and joined. It was a small crowd. It was only 82,000 people. And uh, we watched an A&M football game. And as we watched it was very apparent to me that, yes, I have made disciples in some ways. Um, because at one point, not to get into too many technicalities, but they were just, my team was supposed to throw a screen pass. Get the ball, turn, quickly throw it to the receiver. He didn't do it that quickly. Ball got batted down. I didn't say anything, but suddenly 60 pounds of, like, enthusiasm standing in the seat next to me is shouting to the field, get the ball out quicker! And I kind of glanced, and I was like, I have no one to blame but myself. Like, this is me. I know where he's heard that 
from me yelling at a television. Um, I have watched my oldest son yell at a TV, give commentation of how that player could have done it better, even when that player at times is literally like six times his size. Um, And I have watched him get upset. I have watched him celebrate. And I look at that and I go, that's me. (laughs) Like, if if he's too upset about something, I know where that came from. It came from me. He's watched that be modeled. If he's overly excited about something, he's dancing around, screaming, yelling, and all that kind of stuff in a good way, I know where that comes from. It comes from me. Like, we've all made disciples in some area. But today, as a church in the South Point, I really want us to hone in because this is something that is important to us. We want to be disciple makers. As a church, we want to be disciple makers. Chose that word kind of in particular. Now, we're going to talk about discipleship today, but interestingly enough, the word discipleship does not appear in the New Testament. There is no Greek word for discipleship. There's a Greek word for disciple. We see that, and it's definitely something that we can easily translate and say, hey, discipleship is obviously very important. But we really want to be about disciple making. So we need to ask a question. Where does disciple making start? Obviously, we know we've made disciples and things that we are passionate about and things that we love, but when it comes to this... When it comes to the ultimate disciple-making, where does that start? Well, I want you to look in Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, in verse 19, some of you may be an astute listener and go, didn't we read that last week? Yes. Turns out the Great Commission has application all over the place. And so if you weren't here last week, we're just going to read it again. In verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Disciple-making starts when we share the gospel. This is where the process has its ultimate beginning. And it's one that we need to understand this because if we're going to make disciples, this is where it starts. And so many times we look at the backside of it and we don't look at the front side and understand that there has to be a pivotal moment where someone hears the gospel, falls in love with Jesus, and is radically changed into a new creation. This is where discipleship has its beginning. And we can't shy away from that. Like we've talked about the gospel and how the gospel is important to us. We said we have a word picture for it. If you look at the poster that's in the lobby, if you were to take a stone and just throw it out into a lake or body of water, when it impacts, it begins a process. It begins a ripple process. And sometimes we focus on, you know, the ripples that are way out here and things like that, but there has to be a start. And it starts with actively sharing the gospel and seeing lives changed through Jesus Christ. Not simply making a person a more moral person. Not simply making a person that may not steal your stuff if you're not home. Not making a person that doesn't shout bad words at the TV. Someone who is radically changed through the gospel, through the power of Jesus Christ. This happens in public settings. This happens in private settings. So in the book of Acts, you get to see a lot of really neat pictures of what the gospel sharing looks like. And I'm going to read some excerpts. Like, If you go, hey, are you trying to like, skim away from things? No, you're just going to be here a lot longer if I read all of Acts chapter 2. And so in Acts chapter 2, bounce around a little bit. This is, Jesus has already ascended into heaven. You've got this great crowd. 
Peter, one of the apostles, looks out on the crowd, and I think Peter is reminded for a moment. He's reminded when Jesus said, hey, I looked out on a crowd, and I looked at them with compassion. Peter definitely had compassion on this crowd because this is a crowd that crucified Jesus just weeks earlier. This is a group of people that shouted, you know what, give us the criminal, crucify Jesus. And Peter looks out and he sees this crowd and he just begins to unpack the gospel. And he begins to preach. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Like, I love this. Like, people are looking out, and, man, some absolutely crazy things are happening within the gospel. And some people are, like, a little shocked and going, okay, well, what's going on here? And they're kind of intrigued. And then some people look out, and they go, man, these people just got an early start to the day. And Peter looks out and goes, hey, I want you to listen to my words. These people aren't drunk. He says, it's the third hour today. What he means by that is it's 9 a.m. in the morning. It's not game day. They haven't got started that early. Like, they are not drunk. They are experiencing something that seems foolish to you, but I want to unpack it for you. Then if you bounce forward a little bit to verse 22. Verse 22, he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the, a man arrested, uh, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up for according to the uh, definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so he begins to just unpack that, hey, this Jesus that you guys were adamantly shouting and screaming about, crucify, crucify, crucify. This Jesus that was beaten mercilessly, that you looked upon him and you couldn't even recognize him as a human being anymore. Like the trial that Jesus went through, by the time he was done with it, he didn't look human. His back had been laid open. His head had been beaten. He was swollen. You couldn't even recognize him. Then he was paraded through a street, and a number of these people would have seen Jesus and then seen Jesus hung on a cross. He says, you killed him. You did that. But it doesn't end there. He begins to continue on. He begins to tell them who this Christ is. And then in verse 36, says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter just preaches the gospel, and then look what happens in verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, this is a public setting. Peter looks out and he sees a crowd. He sees a crowd that he knows you guys are far from God. You claim to know him. You claim to know the law, and you just don't realize how far you are from him. The law proves that there is a need for a Savior, and God sent that Savior. It was Jesus Christ, and he gets up, preaches one of the first sermons, and most of you would really love if my sermon was that quick. <laughs> and suddenly he gets done with it, and all these people look at him, and it says they were cut to the heart. They didn't hear this message and go, oh, I need to be a better person. They heard this message, and they were cut to the heart, realizing, kind of like Isaiah when he suddenly is in the throne room, and it's like all of his sin is poured out on him suddenly. These people suddenly realize 
all that message that Jesus had was real. That I'm in need of a Savior. That yes, I see that I am separated from God. I am far from Him. Peter preaches this message and they are cut to the heart and they begin to cry out, what do we do? How do we repent and turn from our old life and follow God? And God begins to stir in these people's lives and this is where the early church begins. Thousands of people in a day going, you know what? I don't want this life anymore. I want Jesus. I want to follow Him. But it starts with proclaiming the gospel. Peter did that in a public setting. And some of us get the chance to do that. I kind of get a pass on it. Every week I'm going to get the chance to share the gospel in public. I bring a chair up or somebody does. I sit here. I'm going to preach the gospel. Sometimes I've done it, you know, at different revivals and things like that. Sometimes you go, hey, I don't have like a big public setting, but we all have a one-on-one setting. And so in Acts chapter 8, you get to see one of the best examples of what this looks like. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26. This is a little lengthy, but I want you to kind of see the whole story because it's pretty phenomenal. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the south to the road that goes down uh, from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Already you just see Philip being obedient. Philip, someone who had not always been obedient. He says, And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said to him, the eunuch, he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep that was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture. He told him the good news, the gospel, the evangelion about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. This is one of the best examples that you can find of one-on-one evangelism. One, you have an obedient Philip. You have Philip listening to the Spirit, the Spirit calling Philip and saying, hey, I want you to go to a certain place. I've already prepared it ahead of you. You have no idea what's going to happen there. You have no idea the person. You don't know if it's man, woman, or child. But I'm calling you, and Philip, in obedience, says, hey, this is part of being a disciple maker, obedience. He says, hey, I'm going to follow that. And he gets there, and the scene is this. There's a very important official who's a eunuch, won't get into that one, Um, don't Google it either, Um, but this is a person of great importance, and he hears him reading the prophet Isaiah, and in that moment, he asks a question, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And I love the eunuch's response, how am I supposed to understand this if somebody doesn't actually tell me? This is a one-on-one conversation showing the power of the gospel. Philip had a heart for a stranger. Philip had no idea who this person was. From the context, we, we tell he's never met this person. He doesn't know the situation going on at home. He doesn't know his family. 
There is nothing that should tie him in immediately to go, hey, I'm going to go out of my way. I'm going to crawl into a, a chariot. Essentially, I'm going to get in the car with a stranger, and I'm going to talk to this guy, and I'm going to explain the gospel to him. But he has a heart for a stranger because he knows that stranger has a soul. And it's apparent to him that, hey, God has put me in this person's life to proclaim the gospel. And so he begins to teach using the scripture that this guy had made a reference to. And to answer the eunuch's question, it's not talking about Isaiah, it's talking about Jesus. And he just begins to unpack the gospel with this guy. And I love that he just tells him all these answers. Like he understood, you're confused right now. I've got to see this a couple times. I've shared before, sometimes I'll do some Uber driving. Sometimes I got people sitting in the back and they'll start to get into a kind of religious conversation and they don't know they're in the car with me. <laughs> and so there's been a few times where I've kind of listened a little bit and then just kind of been like, hey, can I just kind of interject? I'm gonna keep watching the road. You're gonna get from point A to point B. But some of that stuff you were talking about, do you understand what you just said? No, you've come to the right car. I've had the chance just to unpack, hey, what you said, that's not really what the gospel's about. That's not really what Christianity is about. And then you get to watch this radical thing happen. Obviously, he shares the gospel with this eunuch, and this eunuch's life has changed. He goes, I want to turn away from my old self. I want to follow Christ. So much so that they're riding along, and he goes, hey, there's water. What's keeping me from getting baptized? Like, I'm ready. I'm, I'm all into this. Like, I'm ready to take the next step. I want to proclaim this. And so they go down into the water. And he gets baptized. And then I love what happens. He comes up. He is so excited. After he gets baptized, the Spirit of God just takes Philip away. We don't know exactly. I don't know if it was a whirlwind like in the Old Testament or if it was just kind of he does this and suddenly he's gone. But Philip was there, baptized him, and then Philip is suddenly not there. If I teleport out of that baptistry on a Sunday morning when I'm baptizing people, y'all better pay attention. <laughs> that's one that's it's getting real. Here's the crazy thing. This eunuch, he doesn't go, what in the world? He's not perplexed. It says he went on his way rejoicing. This guy just kind of accepted God's doing some crazy things and I'm just here for the ride on it. I know he changed me just moments ago. This is the power of a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Discipleship starts when we share the gospel. And so I never want to shy away from that. If we're going to be disciple makers, we're going to share the gospel every single week. And this morning, like, I don't want, I'm not making this into some overly emotional thing or anything, but I want to put out as clearly as I can, do you know the gospel? Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Because if I sit up here and just try and be cute about things or make you feel better about yourself, that's not what you need. And it happens way too much today. Like, are you in that spot where you know Jesus as your Savior? Or is it something you go, hey, I'm, I know about going to church, and I believe that, yeah, there may have been this historical person, but I don't really understand it. Well, Jesus Christ came, lived a sinless life so that we could experience his grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness. And close to 2,000 years ago, in the exact time that God sent him, he looked out on humanity, had compassion on him. Scripture would say, for the joy set before him, he went to the cross. He paid the price for our sin. The price, the wages of sin, Scripture says, is death. You and I deserve death. I'm not shying away from that. That's the price of our sin. But I love, love that God in his grace and mercy sent his son, Jesus Christ, 
who loved us enough that he laid down his life so that we could experience what this guy experienced. So we could experience what that crowd when Peter was preaching could experience. Forgiveness. It only comes through him. If you're wrestling with that, here's what I want to encourage you to do. You wrestle. Maybe by the end of this message, you're done wrestling and go, you know what? I need him. And you're ready to turn away and say, I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life and follow him. Maybe you go home and you wrestle through that. I, don't, I want you to wrestle and make it your own. But discipleship starts when we proclaim the gospel, and we're going to do that without apology, and we're going to do it forever. Second thing is this. Disciple-making is an ongoing process. Kind of quickly in Colossians chapter 1, you get one of the best examples in Colossians. Paul just kind of lines out, this is what disciple-making looks like. Starting in verse 9, we'll go through verse 14, and it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to a kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of our sins. Ongoing discipleship involves a bunch of things. One, it involves prayer. Paul says from the day we heard this, we have not ceased to pray for you. We've lifted you up. We've prayed that you would grow not in just knowledge of Jesus and not just knowledge so you know stuff. Knowledge of his will. Knowledge so when you're asking questions of, hey, what does tomorrow hold? What does the next chapter of my life hold? Hey, I'm entering a new season. What does that look like? That you would know the knowledge of God's will for your life. Growing as disciple makers involves praying for others. It involves growing in obedience. Not just hearing stuff, but actually being obedient in what he's called us to do. It involves bearing fruit that Paul talks about. Bearing fruit looks different for all of us, right? Scripture would say, hey, before foundation of the world like God has already prepared good works for us for some of you it's going to be a good work in this area for some of you it's going to be a good work in another area but whatever that is as we're growing as disciple makers we are bearing fruit in every good work he says that you may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might the ongoing process of disciple making is understanding that God's power is already there. We have been called to press into it for patience and endurance. Years ago, I heard, hey, there's some things that you don't have to pray for. God, God's strength is one of them. That may sound crazy because maybe you're going through something really difficult right now and you're like, no, I need God's strength. Why would I not pray for that? You don't have to pray for it because it's already been poured out. It's already there. It's now our responsibility to press into that. That strength and power that's already there, we press into it for patience when things are difficult. When we're trying to grow and we're trying to grow others. For endurance where we look and go, man, this chapter of life is getting longer and longer. What's going on? We press into that power. And we're not disciples of darkness anymore, but we're disciples of light. Discipleship is this ongoing process of growing. So how do we make disciples today? A couple things. One, discipleship is modeled. It's modeled. Like, I modeled how to be a pretentious, fanatical Aggie to my son. <laughs> and we need to model 
how to be growing believers in Christ to other people. It's not just about knowledge. It needs to be put into action. If, hear me on this. If all we're doing is just trying to learn more things, but we're not putting it into action, I mean this as sweetly as can be. If we're doing that and we're not putting it into action, all we're doing is learning more ways to be disobedient. And that's not okay. We've got to put it into action. And action happens when you know the people and community around you so that you can reach out and love and serve. I got to watch this a couple weeks ago. If you're, if you're kind of family, if you've got kids, you know there's like a cardinal rule. You can't both be sick at the same time, right? It's happened like twice in our relationship. First time, Logan was like six weeks old, and Whitney and I both got some stomach bug. And it was just like, we may not all make it. <laughs> like, like a couple days into it, she got a little bit better, and I was like, I wish you luck. <laughs> like, and we just kind of made a pact. We're like, we can't be sick at the same time. A couple weeks ago, we got sick at the same time. She had really bad sinus infection and was having to like quarantine a little bit while we were waiting on some test results. I don't get sick very often, but I get old man gout every now and then, and like I physically could not walk. And so we're like in, like she kind of quarantined to the bedroom, like our guest room. I'm in the bedroom, and it's like the, na- the, pr- it, the prison is being run by the inmates at this point. Logan and Andy are on their own, and we're just going to walk out there in a couple days and hope for the best. Um, we had some friends that knew that. And they just brought dinner over one night. Man, it made a huge, huge impact. Like, when you know the people in the community around you, you can put things to action. And because they knew that, hey, y'all, are, y'all could use a hand for a day. Man, dinner became this huge thing. I was unbelievably thankful because it was a blessing to us. And there's so many times as we grow, we go, you know what, I don't, I don't need help. And it's not about that. I heard a sermon years ago. It was not theologically mind-blowing, but for a kid who kind of grew up in a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps kind of mentality, the pastor basically preached on, hey, don't deny somebody else the opportunity to bless you because they're trying to be obedient. Like if somebody feels, hey, I know someone's hurting, I need to reach out, and I want to, I want to put obedience and discipleship to action, we don't deny them that, right? Like, if, if you feel, well, God's telling me that you don't need to do that, you need to be really, really certain, okay? Because within Scripture itself, we see where people get really certain, and they're not really certain. You've got Zechariah, he goes to the temple one day. It's like the only time he may do this in his life, and he gets done praying, he looks up, and there's an angel. Anytime an angel appears in the Bible, they are absolutely terrifying beings. Like, they're not the little, you know, precious moments thing. Um, and he's kind of terrified at first, and... The angel goes, don't be afraid. You and your wife are going to have a child. He says, hey, I'm bringing you word of a blessing. Even in your old age, you're going to have a child. And what does he do? He argues with the angel. I think you're wrong. Look, Paul says, hey, if, even if an angel brings a gospel other than what I've brought, so we can test that. But for the most part, when an angel shows up in the temple to tell you, hey, God's sending you a child, the angel's probably right. But he just tries to argue, and the angel goes, okay, well, you're not going to be able to talk for the next nine months. Like, if someone's trying to bless you and you feel like, oh, I think God's saying you don't need to do that, you, you better have like a bush burning and a donkey talking on your side. Um, because you know what? It's modeled. We look out, we see our friends, our community, things that are going on, and we try and reach out to them. But discipleship is also balanced. There's a couple things that have to happen within discipleship. One is orthodoxy. When I say orthodoxy, I mean sound doctrine. As we grow in our faith, it needs to be biblically grounded. 
not some willy-nilly new age thing. Like we, we look to scripture first and foremost. We let scripture read us and it's going to have an impact. Next week, we're going to start walking through 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in it for a while. I don't know if there is a more appropriate book to walk through as a church in 2021 right now. Theologically, it's not mind-blowing, but it's a lot of, hey, do you have division? Do you have doctrine that maybe isn't as sound? Do you puff up one group over another? Do you struggle with breakdowns in socioeconomic things? Do you struggle with obedience? I mean, I'm not describing the church today, although we could. I'm describing the church 2,000 years ago. Um, and we're just going to look and let Scripture read us. And so it needs to have sound doctrine. It also needs to have what we call orthopraxy, right practice, doing something. So as we're growing in discipleship, we've got to do something. If you need to serve, serve somewhere. If you're going to lead, lead somewhere. If you're going to give, give somewhere. If you're going to go, go somewhere. Do something. We've got to do things with this. We've got to balance this of learning and growing in our knowledge of who God is, but then putting it into practice and reaching out to our friends, neighbors, and community around us. And so this looks like a couple things at South Point. One, get plugged in in some places. If we're going to be disciple makers, there's some areas that you as a congregation, all of us, can get plugged in. Get plugged into an equipping class. 915, we've got multiple different ones. I want to see that continue to grow where you look and go, hey, I want to learn about this this semester, and then I can learn about this the next semester, and then put it to action. Or maybe it's one of our men's ministries or women's ministries. Women's meet on Monday night. I don't think they're meeting tomorrow, but men's ministry, we've got different opportunities there. Getting plugged in and having that sense of community to grow you and to use the gifts that God's given you to pour out on others. It doesn't have to just be adults. We've got our kids right now sitting in our kids' ministry being discipled and learning to be disciple makers. Our students on Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings being discipled and learning to be disciple makers. And the other one is our life groups. If you look in your bulletin, um, we've got a list of our life groups. I want to just kind of go through them real quick of, hey, if you're not plugged into a life group somewhere, there's an opportunity for you. We've got the O'Brien life group, Terry and Don O'Brien. Um, Gosh, I love them. I love just about everything about them. I'm uh, thankful for everything that they do. They're going to be leading a life group on Wednesdays. Um, David and Donna Hall, we're, we're going to get to the Hall group here, so um, bear with me on that one. Uh, we've got David and Donna Hall meet on Sundays. Um, we've got Josh and Leanne Hall meet on Wednesday nights, kind of young, uh, young couples uh, without kids. Uh, Zach and Taylor Hall, their group is full. If something comes available, we'll let you know. Um, CJ and Stephanie Jackson meeting on Wednesday nights. They've got space. Carl and Amanda Prudholm uh, meeting on Fridays. Uh, they've got space available. Um, that group, uh, Jamie and Whitney, um, one of them's better looking than the other. Um, we've got like one, <laughs> Amy and me. Um, you didn't know who I was talking about. That could have been very rude or it wasn't. I I'm not about to open that door. Uh, we meet on Wednesday nights, uh, kind of couples with younger kids. Uh, we've got a new life group, Sarah and, uh, Latham and Kristen Jones, for young adults that's going to be meeting on Tuesday nights. Um, the Umber group meets on Thursday nights. They're full right now. But I want you to see that. Get plugged in somewhere. After service, um, Josh and Andre are going to be in the back. They're kind of heading up our life group areas. Get plugged in. Talk with one of them. If you're not plugged into a life group, find out how. If you're not plugged into an equipping class, get plugged into one. Because I'll say this, and I, I, I want to say it very gracefully, because I'm going to say something, and look, the reality is 
it's probably the majority of people are going to go, is he just talking to me? Know that a bunch of other people are going to feel like, is he just talking to me? So I try and be gracious when we make statements like this. If Sunday morning is the only time that you are growing in who Christ is and being fed, your soul is starving. And I don't, I don't want that to be like a, a beat. And like, if I didn't say that, I, would, I think I'd be a pretty crappy pastor. If this is the only time you're being fed, your soul is starving. And there is a lot of times where we look around during the week and go, man, I am struggling with this, and this seems to be weighing on me more than I can handle. And why is this happening in my house? Why is this happening at work? Why is this happening in my own life? And so many times it's because our souls are being starved. And we have got too many good people that care, that want to see disciple-making continue, both start and continue. There's too many groups to be plugged into. There's too many opportunities. At the same time, that's the most groups we've had in a long time. The reality is that's only about half that we need. We literally need to double that number. That's something that we're praying about is leadership and staff and encouraging people and Kind of one of the things we've really talked with Josh and Andre about of, hey, within our life groups, we need to see more groups so more people can get plugged in because it can't just be about Sunday morning. It's got to be about a weekly thing, about growing as a disciple and growing as a disciple maker. So I want to encourage you guys, get plugged into something. Find community. If you're in a life group, you know. Sometimes it's wheels off and sometimes it is the highlight of the week having those people to pour into and to pour into you, having that class to pour in and pour into you. We want to see this continue to grow because we want to continue to grow as disciple makers. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, thank you for the things that you're doing. Thank you for, one, calling us. God, that disciple making can begin, and it only begins through you, through your sacrifice. And God, if there is someone that is here today, and they've wrestled with that for a while, or God, they've just maybe not tried to, they've tried to push it out of their mind, I pray that you would be all over them. God, that it would be at the forefront of their mind because it is the most important thing. God, that you loved us and you sent your son. God, that people would fall in love with Jesus and cry out and say, hey, I want him to be the Lord of my life. God, I pray that you would continue to grow us as disciple makers. God, that we would be a church that that would be such a big focus for us. It's not just about showing up to a place, God. It's about growing in you. Grow us, God. Grow us so we can continue to impact the world around us. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.